Shavua Tov, everybody out there, and uh, welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rebetzin Adel Kozilski, and I'm now with you, hopefully for a long while. We had a bit of a hiatus while we were celebrating uh, the festival of Pesach, which I hope for everybody out there, your uh, Pesach was hopefully inspiring. Um, you didn't eat too much, even though I heard that people ate lots and lots, and that you actually gained something out of the spiritual energy of Pesach, which is leaving our limitations, gaining some type of freedoms, feeling a little bit more connected to God. Um, as explained in my my time before Pesach, we finished up the book of Tehillim. We had spent probably close on a year and a half learning the various uh, chapters of Tehillim. And I thought that we would uh, change direction now and uh, start learning a Pasha of the Torah, which I have a pet peeve about, and that is the first Pasha of the Torah, which is the, in the book of Genesis. The Pasha means a, a section of reading that we read every single week. Um, in the Shul, we divide up essentially, not exactly, um, the five books of Moses into 52 parashiot, into 52 sections, which each section is made up perhaps of a number of chapters um, of, of the five books of Moses. So the first parasha, the first section that we read is obviously the, the beginning of the book of Genesis and it describes the, 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 the creation of the world. It describes uh, God, the Garden of Eden. It describes everything to do with Adam and Eve. And really, within a very short period of time, it's actually a thousand years of Adam's life. The next week, we straight away are jumping into the Parsha of Noah. Of Noah. Um, and my pet peeve is that we read the Parsha of uh, Bereshit on Simchat Torah, when uh, we complete reading the Torah, that is the Yom Tov at the end of Sukkot. We have Shemini Atzeret, and then we have Simchat Torah, the rejoicing of the Torah. We read the last parsha of the Torah, and immediately right afterwards, um, we read the first parsha. And what really, really happens is this parsha that is so filled with it's got such a wealth of information about so much. It's such a fascinating parsha, kind of like gets delegated to the side because by the time the rabbis finished his last sermon and explaining Simchat Torah and us reading the parsha of, of Bereshit, we're already on Noah and then from Noah we go to Adam, I mean to Abraham and so on and so on. And not enough time is spent learning the parsha of Bereshit. So what we're going to be doing in my segment, this is every Monday between one and two, we are going to be looking into the mystical texts and we are going to be unraveling creation. Okay. And creation really is a very, very, um, hotly debated subject, um, to this day. And, uh, I'd love your participation, um, in what you think about creation. We are going to be plodding pretty slowly through the various verses, trying to unravel how did God really create the world? Why did God create the world? When did God create the world? Is God still creating the world? What do you guys out there believe? Um, I'd love to hear from you. So you can call in on 010-140-3020. Our on-air SMS is 34519. Or you can WhatsApp on 061-895-1019.
So the topic um, that we're going to be delving in for probably quite a few weeks, certainly a couple of months, is the topic of Bereshit, of Genesis. How did God create the world? What did he create on each and every single day? Why did he create them in that order? What can we learn and what does it matter? Let's start with that. What does it matter how God created the world? Does it really matter? We are now in the year 5,788. That's a long time since what we believe to be the beginning of creation, which in and of itself can indeed be a discussion. Um, What about Darwinism? What about evolution? What about carbon dating? How do we reconcile that with uh, the Torah? But just taking it on face value, we're 5,788 years from creation. Um, Does it really matter to me? Or to you, um, how God created the world. We've got a world now. We, we think and know that we understand the machinations of this world. Why don't we just live in the world now? Why should any scholar, any human being, any child for that matter, um, open up chapter one, verse one and try to work out how God created the world? So, Let's have a discussion. Tell me what you think about the creation of the world. Do you believe in the creation of the world according to Torah? Um, or do you, are you still, um, convinced that evolutionism, Darwinism, all those type of isms that are, ha- have been hanging around for quite a while, um, have some type of truth? And, uh, at any point in time, on any point of the subject that I'm bringing up, please feel free to uh, join in on the conversation. So today we are going to hopefully try get through chapter one um, of Genesis, verse one, just verse one. Verse one is actually made up of seven words, seven simple words that read as follows. Bereshit, in the beginning, bara, elokim, God created, Et Hashemaim, the heavens, the Et Haaretz, the earth. This is like the Taram. This is the opening line of the Torah. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And there are many, many, many commentators on the Torah and many, many of them commentate, comment on this first verse. And they kind of get divided into Two groups of people um, who look at this comment in two completely different ways. One set, and we will get to them just now, are the people that are saying, yes, we have to look at creation and we need to understand what happened. How did this world birth itself? How did it come into being? There's another group, uh, primarily um, headed by Rashi, who's the foremost commentator of the Torah, and he does not hold um, this verse, particularly the word Bereshit, as something, you know, he doesn't really get bothered down too much about creation, but rather he says that it's there just as a comment on something that is far more important. And um, we can start with that because I find this 
quite unbelievably fascinating, um, particularly from Rashi, because Rashi will go and always explain a verse that it says a five-year-old will have the question. And Rashi goes on and, and asks, he says, why would the Torah, which is a book of laws, have the first verse of its book in the beginning, God created heaven and earth? It is of no consequence. If the Torah is a book of laws, if it is a manual with which we have to live, then says Rashi, what we should do is we should begin, the Torah should begin with the first commandment that was given to the children of Israel. And the first commandment given to the children of Israel is this month shall be to you the first of months. It's the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh. It's the commandment that every single month as the moon wanes and it's about to tip and start growing again into the new moon, we pronounce a new moon and we bless the new moon. We actually do this now, the Shabbat before we we call it the Shabbat Mevorachin. In fact, this coming Shabbat is Shabbat Mevorachin and we bless the new moon. So here's Rashi's question. If the Torah is a book of laws, if the Torah is a manual on how we to live, then why not start <clears throat> the Torah with the first mitzvah of this month shall be for you, the first of months, the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh. Why do you have to go and explain Bereshit bara elokim et hashamayim v'etaaretz that in the beginning God created heaven and earth? Um, and he answers very interestingly, and I smile at its at, at its profundity because it is so so relevant to us. Now, um, he says the following, that it says in Tehillim that God, okay, is all powerful. And the reason why the Torah starts with the first verse is to teach us that since God is the creator of this world and everything that is in it, so too it is in the will of God to give his land to whoever he deems it to have. And this really is, honestly, probably one of the strongest basis that we have for the, the argument of does Israel belong to the Jewish people? Because if you believe Bereshit bara Elokim that God created heaven and earth, you consequently believe since he did create heaven and earth, he then spoke to Abraham and he said, Lech Lecha, go um, out of your land, out of your birthplace to a land I will show you. He gave it to Abraham, our forefather, who passed it on to Yitzchak, who passed it on to Yaakov, to Isaac, to Jacob, to the Jewish people. And our right to live in the land of Israel is based on the fact that God created heaven and earth, and it was he who gave us the land of Israel as our own. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Welcome back, and uh, we are studying chapter 1, verse 1 of the five books of Moses. That is the chapter of Genesis, and we were just discussing uh, the first Rashi, the first uh, comment, comment that Rashi, Rabbi, Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki, makes on the Torah, where he says that the reason why 
we start with the creation of the world is to understand fundamentally that if you believe there is a God in this world and that he created the world, then any dispute that comes along further on, which has this, this, this dispute has been going on for a long time um, regarding the land of Israel. We can turn around and say the reason why the land of Israel is ours is because Hashem, because God created the hev- heaven and earth and God gave it to us. A very, very interesting idea. And I'm going to leave it at that. The Ibn Ezra tends to agree with him somewhat on, on in, in that manner. What I'd like to do is I'd like to go to the other camp now and uh, look at what Bereshit really means. Bereshit is a very, very strange word, okay, um, because the, many of the commentators say that if you want to say the word in the beginning, you should say Barishona. That is in the beginning. Bereshit does not mean in the beginning. Bereshit implies smichut, the construct state, Okay, when a word which is attached to the next. So in the beginning implies that there's a chronological order of creation to be given. And uh, the rabbis dissect the word Bereshit in many, many ways. So let me share with you some of the ways the word Bereshit is explained. The Midrash explains as follows that you should not read the word Bereshit as Bereshit, but you should read the word Bereshit as Ber. Reshit, okay? Bet, reshit, for two. Bet has the numerical value of two. Reshit means beginnings. So read the verse, B, reshit, for two beginnings. Bara Elohim et God created heaven and earth for two beginnings, for two firsts. And which two firsts were there? Well, this opens up an entire discussion because did anything exist before the world began? Did it? What do you all think out there? Was there something created before this world was created? If you've got some ideas, you can SMS on 34519. You can uh, WhatsApp on 061-895-1019. You want to call in 010-140-3020. Was there anything before the world was created? Well, the Midrash goes and says, in fact, there were there were two um, ideas that were there um, long before the world was created. The first Reshit is actually the Torah. Um, Torah is called Reshit Darko, the beginning of his ways. It's a quote out of Proverbs, meaning that God had Torah as uh, um, as a blueprint before the world was created, and so too the concept of the Jewish people, which is called Reshit Tevuata, the beginning of his crops. That concept was created before. So Bet Reshit, there were two things that were considered Reshit, <clears throat> and for that reason, God created heaven and earth for the Torah and for the Jewish people. Now, Interestingly, if you look further in the Midrash, it actually tells us that there weren't only two things created. There, in fact, were seven things created. This is a different Midrash that just takes a slightly different spin. It said seven concepts were brought into fruition before this world was created. 
The first was Torah. I'm going to tell you all seven, and then I'm going to come back and describe them. The first was Torah. The second was Teshuvah, repentance. The third was Ganadin, which is the Garden of Eden. The fourth was Gehenim, which is loosely translated as hell. The fifth was Kisei HaKavod, the heavenly throne. The sixth was Beit, the Beit HaMikdash, the temple. And the seventh is Mashiach. So these seven things were created before the world was created. Now, why would Torah, Tshuva, Gan Eden, Gehenim, the throne of glory, the Kisar Kavod, Beit HaMikdash, the temple, and Mashiach, the Messiah, be created before the world was created? What's the reason that these concepts should exist before the world was created? So our rabbis teach that they, they were the precursors and the reason for which the world was created. So let's go back and dissect them. Torah. Torah is the blueprint of creation, and it's the architectural drawings of creation. It says God looked into Torah, and he created the world. So just like a, a, a person will not build a house before he has architectural plans, so too God had to create Torah in order to, um, to, to create the world. Tshuva, repentance. Now, one of the things that our, our sages teach was that in the beginning, God really wanted to uh, treat the world in a manner of justice. You did something wrong, you immediately saw uh, the consequence to it. But he realized afterwards that that was very punitive, that was very, very difficult. And um, in fact, the world would not exist. And he brought in Midat Harachamim, he brought in a measure of mercy. And those two allowed the con- came from the concept of chuva of repentance, because in order to maintain existence, we've got to have the ability to say I'm sorry, because we're fallible human beings, and if we could never say I'm sorry, if every time we did something wrong, thunder and lightning would strike us down, the world would not exist. So God had to create the idea of chuva of repentance, so in order to maintain existence. The next two, Gan Eden and Gehenim, which is basically paradise and hell, is a system of reward and punishment, knowing that in this world was created, but in the mechanism of creating this world, God did create the mechanism of being rewarded if you do things good and punished if you do things bad. So the idea of paradise, of Gan Eden, of the Garden of Eden, of, of, of the place where you'll receive your reward and Gehenim, hell or purgatory, the, the idea of reward and punishment had to, had to be uh, put in before he created the world. Kisei HaKavod, the throne of glory. Why would God have to have created the throne of glory, the throne of reign, so to speak, R-E-I-G-N, when I'm saying reign, not R-A-I-N, the, his reigning throne, because in order for the world to exist, you have to know that there's a king. There has to be this idea of kingship, of malchut, that God is, that there is a God and that he reigns. So that was an idea that was created before. And then we have the idea that comes together hand in hand, though coexists separately, that there is a temple, a Beit HaMikdash, a physical temple 
which we, the Jews, have built already twice and are awaiting the third rebuilding, which will be the eternal temple. That's a permanent dwelling place for God on this earth. Not that God does not dwell everywhere, but a place where we as human beings can perceive God openly and Mashiach, because the whole reason why the world was created was because we have a purpose. The purpose is to bring the world to the acknowledgement that God is the creator and to perceive God in everything. And when the world comes to that state, they come to a world of redemption, to a world of messianism. So again, Torah, repentance, paradise, paradise and purgatory, Gan Eden and Gehenim, the, the heavenly um, chair, the rule, the reign of God, the temple and Mashiach were all things that were placed as concepts, as ideas, as as pillars, and on whose premise the world was created. Very interesting. Paul Fisher says God existed before His creation, as He is separate from it. Um, his crea- as He is separate from His creation. I'm told. Well, Paul, he did he did exist before the creation of the world, though in one sense he is not separate from his creation because in creating he has given a part of himself into creation almost the same concept as a father fathering a son whilst the son stands in and of himself he is really a blueprint of who his parents are he is a a conduit he is a continuation of the gen, of the genes of the gene pool of of his parents so god did exist before creation but when he did create he created in such a way that he is also part of creation thank you so much paul for that comment so bereshit the word bereshit in the beginning means bet for two reshits for Torah and for Israel, the world was created and there were certain concepts that were created before because they were the precursors for why um, the, 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 the world should, should, uh, should have been created. Now, here's an interesting thing. After Bereshit in the beginning, so that's the place where creation started, Bara Elohim, God created. Let's dissect those two words, Bara and Elohim. Bara is translated as creation. But for anybody who's a scholar of the Hebrew language will know that you will never use the word bara created for a human being. You will never say the human being created the painting and use the word bara. You might have the word yatsar, which is another word for creating Okay, you might use many other words, but you will not use the word bara because bara, this type of creation, means it's a creation ex nihilo, means it's something from nothing. And the only entity, the only power in this world that can create something from nothing is God. And so when you use the word bara in Hebrew, you only connect it with God. You will never connect it with a human being because we can't create something from nothing. We always create something from something. Or in the Hebrew terminology, we create yesh, mi yesh, something from something. God creates yesh, me'ayin, 
something from nothing. So that's just a very interesting idea about the word bara. Elohim, God. Now, for anybody who knows or knows just very little about Judaism, we will know that many times we call God by other names. We call God as Adoi, and I'm not going to finish up the name because we can't say it out of context in learning. We've got the name Elohim, which is God. We've got the name Shakai. I'm not pronouncing it correctly because out of reverence I won't. God has many, many names. And the many, many names of God does not mean that there's more than one God. It means that he has different manifestations. Now, in Kabbalah, we basically stick with two names. We either call Hashem Adoi, and we finish it up with the Nai, okay? Or we say Elohim. When we make a blessing, we go Baruch, Ata, Adoi. Okay, we use Hashem's name, the yud Hey and the vav Hey. We pronounce it Adoi, and the name Nun-Yud, and that means our master. That the Kabbalists teach is when God represents himself in this world through kindness, through compassion, through chesed, through a benevolence, through a flowing of goodness. When we use the name Elohim, it's when God creates through justice through strictness, or, as we are going to learn now, through nature, when he is hidden. If you take the gematria of the word Elohim, Aleph is one, Lamed is 30, He is five, so that's 36, Yud is 10, that's 46, Mem is 40, so that's 86. The name Elohim is the gematria of 86. The word for nature, Teva, is also 86. Ayn is 70 and Bet is 2 and Tet is 9. Okay, And what we are taught is that when it says Bereshit bara Elohim, not Bereshit bara Adoi, Shem, Okay, Bereshit bara Elohim, God created through nature. God created a natural world. God created a world that concealed him. God put in his energy and it looks as if now we have what we call a natural world and that world exists by itself. So whenever we see, through actually through all the verses, um, of creation, we are seeing God appearing as the world, as the word, um, as, as Elohim, not as the God of benevolence. So what did God create in the beginning? What did he create? And now there's a huge argument amongst the rabbis, because did he create everything straight in one 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 second? Boom. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth and everything inside of it. If he did that, why do we carry on then in verse 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, which we are going to continue learning in the coming weeks, and see that he created light and darkness, then he created um, the, the waters, the different waters, then he created the sun, the moon, and the stars, and then he created the, the plants, and then he created the animals, and then finally on the sixth day he created man. 
If that is true, why does the Torah say the first verse, Bereshit Baralakim, et HaShemayim v'taretz, the heavens and the earth? Doesn't that mean that you've created everything? And in fact, the question gets much stronger. Because we have a very interesting word in Hebrew that I can't translate into English. And that's the word et. Don't ask me to translate it because there is no translation. Bereshit bara elokim et hashamayim ve'et ha'aretz. If I translate that in English, Bereshit in the beginning, bara elokim, God created, et hashamayim, the heavens, hashamayim, the heavens, ve'et ha'aretz, and the earth. The ha means the and ha, the aretz. So what's et? Not translatable. So what does this word mean? So here is a lesson to all Torah scholars. Whenever we see the word et before a word, it means whatever the word is that follows, it means it and everything to do with it. So if I really had to translate the first verse of the Torah, it would be, in the beginning, Bereshit, bara Elohim, God created, et hashamayim, the heavens and everything in it, and the earth and everything in it, which means what? That God created everything, absolutely everything, in that first moment of creation. So then, you can beg the question, why do we have the rest of the six days of creation? If you created everything in one shot, what happened on the other six days of creation? I'm going to let you ponder this as we go for an ad break. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Welcome back. And uh, I posed a question before the break as to how do we reconcile the fact that if the Torah says the words et hashamayim ve which means the heavens and everything in it, the earth and everything in it, why do we have to have the next six days of creation? Because what it seems from this first verse is that God created everything in one microsecond on the first day of creation. So I think it was a a famous uh, a, a lady who came, I think it, uh, either it was Hadrian, I cannot remember who it was, but it was one of the Roman philosophers came before one of the great rabbis of the time and asked that very question. How do you reconcile it? How do you explain how that God created everything, we are saying, in that very first moment of creation, and then we have the six days of creation. So the rabbis go and explain as follows. Sorry, so, so the rabbi that heard this question explained as follows. He said, if you have somebody that's coming over for supper, okay, and um, you are doing a tremendous amount of preparation, right? You're going to have hors d'oeuvres, and then you're going to have a fish course and a soup course, a main course, you're going to have dessert. You, you're preparing a lot of stuff for this meal. When the guests come for the meal, do you serve them everything at once? Nope. You give little by little. You give them first the hors d'oeuvres, then the fish, then the soup, then the meat, etc. So too, the rabbi explained, God created everything that needed to be created in order for the world to be functional. So eta shamaim ve'eta aretz, he created everything that needed to be created, 
And then on the days of creation, he served it out to the world. He put them all just simply in place, like a dinner that had, had one, one part of the meal consecutively following the other. So that's a, a pretty interesting um, idea. And one of the other things that the rabbis speak about, which actually is, 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 is pretty interesting, and this is where um, we can start debating, and I'm going to get into the debate a little bit about evolution, about Darwinism, etc., etc., is that the rabbis go and say that all the heavens and all the earth means that God created on that day the basic elements that was needed to create the heavens and the earth. And what are those basic elements? Fire, water, earth, and air. Carbon and oxygen. Because these nitrogen, these are the things that actually are the building blocks for the rest of creation. So on that particular day, we are told that God created the elements, those basic building fundamental blocks that would then allow for the complexity of creation to take place. Now let's just spend a few minutes debating or discussing Evolution. And how is it, how can we reconcile the fact that we can find something in the ground and carbon dated 500 million years ago or 100 million years ago or something that just doesn't calculate to 5,788 years ago? So there's many answers and much discussion. Okay, but from an evolution point of view, we can answer it in, 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 in two ways. The first is, is that if you look in the Midrash, it says that God actually created prior worlds. He created and he destroyed prior worlds until he came to this world, which was his world of perfection. So it's almost like, I wrote something and I rubbed it out and I wrote it again and I rubbed it out and I wrote it again and I rubbed it out or I created it and then I destroyed it. I created and I destroyed it. So when we dig deep down into the ground and we find something, perhaps that which we are finding is from a world that was created and destroyed. Perhaps dinosaurs did, did exist, but they got, they existed and then they were destroyed. That's, one of the first ways we can understand this dilemma. The second is a very, very interesting concept that I don't think too many people wrap their minds about. But when we follow the creation of the world, you will note, with not too much perception, that everything created in this world was created in a mature fashion means that God didn't create the seed for the avocado tree and then waited seven years for the avocado tree to grow. God didn't create and the embryo of a lion and wait for the lion to grow up and be a big lion. Nor did God create Adam as a baby. In fact, the Midrash teaches us Adam was 25 years old when he was created. God created a mature world with things in the world that were already mature, already grown. But in order for things to have already 
functioned in a mature world, you also needed the world of decomposition. Because for anybody who studies basic science, basic chemistry, knows that something decomposes, it lets off certain elements, those elements um, come, into the, uh, come into the atmosphere, then a new, new life um, combines with it, creates new life, the new life grows, it matures, it dies, it decomposes, then it, it leads to, and that's how the cycle goes on. So in order for God to have created a mature world, he had to create fossils. In order for God to create a mature world, he already had to create that which had decomposed. And perhaps that is why when we go and we look at carbon dating, we go and look at things that we find in this world that are seemingly more than 5,788 years old, they're in fact part of the decomposition position of this world and those are really two ideas that we pick up from the beginning of creation fascinating ones and i don't really believe that that we are con- we are completely in contrary to evolutionism okay um there is no question that the world is complex and that God created it in a mature fashion, and that that which we 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 try prove scientifically as being older than five thousand seven hundred and eighty eight years was part and parcel of that creation through the midrash of that God created and destroyed many worlds, and through the idea that because of a mature world, we had to have the nitrogen cycle already in place, we had to have things that were decomposing. One thing I do reject, and Torah rejects that, and that is that evolution didn't work in such a way that we came from a monkey and a monkey came from something less and less and less and less and less. Okay, God was very clear in the definitions of what he created, and he gave the various creations defined pathways by which they manifested themselves in this world. So, nope, I'm not of, of, of the tribe that says that my great-great-grandfather was a monkey and that I came from a, a cell that just through evolution and through heat and through circumstance eventually came to be who I am. Because just simple study of the human body, simple understanding of the physiology and the makeup of a human being the statistics defy the ability of evolution that we could have once upon a time come from something that was far, far more simpler. And it is with this idea that I leave you today. I hope that you have enjoyed uh, the first of hopefully going to be many weeks of studying and understanding the process of creation. Um, as always, I try to give over the appreciation that each and every single word of Torah is is precise, it's relevant, and it's complex. And uh, the lesson one can learn from Bereshit Bara Elokim et Veta'aretz is two things. One, that there is a creator to this world. Two, that the creator is involved in his world. And three, that there is a purpose to this world. There is, there, 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 it isn't just a maddening, I don't know what, like a, a train trolley car that is just 
going on its own vehicle. There was an entire thinking about this world. There's a blueprint to this world. And the way we lead a meaningful life is when we connect to that blueprint. Wishing everybody a Shavua Tov, a wonderful week. And uh, please go on. I will be back next week with some more on Bereshit. Tomorrow morning, I am on air around about 10 past 8. On the redemptive corner, uh, do we believe in the arrival of Mashiach. Hope that you all tune in there. Have a great time.